on this episode. He, he didn't think. He he just went to the scene. Not many people would do that. I mean, because he just wanted to help. And he was there um, pulling people, you know, out of the wreckage. He was side by side with the first responders. He was, and he stayed, amazingly, throughout. Recorded live in the corner booth at the center of the Coachella Valley universe, this is Big Conversations, Little Bar. Now, your hosts, Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Welcome to another edition of Big Conversations Little Bar, taped live at Little Bar in Palm Desert. Skip Page's Little Bar, the center of the Coachella Valley universe. My name is Patrick Evans, and I am joined this week and each and every week. You said this week like it could change next week. The gentleman that is continuously auditioning for his part as co-host, Mr. Randy Florence. I had so many nice things to say to you when I came on this afternoon, and I'm going to do it anyway, because I'll come across looking really good. You always do, sir. Hey, I did want to talk about something real quick before Uh we get into the important stuff here. Everybody's in such a good mood around here. As we record this, we're starting to see a change in the weather. We may finally be moving away from one of the most difficult summers that we've had. And I want to thank you. As I told you recently, everybody rips on you when the weather's bad, but nobody thanks you. But here's the thing. I accept neither blame nor praise for the weather. I am merely the messenger. I am in the sales department of weather, not the management department of weather. Yeah, so but see, if I can't give you the credit for the good stuff, then I'm just going to be mad at you. Which all is, the time. that's fine. So many people are. That's the story of the weatherman's life. It's okay. It's all right. I love you. You can anyway. be mad at me. My wife's mad at me for other reasons, but it's, 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 it's fine. We'll talk about those in the next episode. That'll be great. Oh, that'll be perfect. This is a really exciting edition of Big Conversation because this truly is a big conversation because we have, we talk about movers and shakers in the Coachella Valley. (laughs) Some are movers, some are shakers. Our guest today happens to be both. You know, you said it a different way than I did. I, there's about five people in this valley who know where the bodies are buried. Yeah, but they don't want to talk about that. No, but it's always awesome that we've got one of those people because they, they could mistakenly say something that will cause the podcast to increase in popularity. So I want to introduce this person. Please do. And see if we can get into that. Today, we have the president of KH and Company and the most recent Lifetime mm. Achievement Award winner from Palm Springs Life in 2023 as in their Women Who Lead, Kay Hazen. Welcome to the show. I am delighted to be here. Thank you. We are too. It's 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 kind of like as I've described at times. It's kind of like spelling in front of the teacher. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you just know you're going to make a mistake at some point, and you just hope it's not so blatant that she doesn't call you on it. Okay, Kay Hazen. Kay Hazen is here. You know, Kay Hazen is. You know, I was really delighted that you agreed to come on and join us for this. Uh, you've been so instrumental in so many different things, and we've crossed paths on numerous occasions. I always there. There are people in the valley that I feel like I've gotten to know pretty well over the years. There are people I know, and I think this is a great opportunity for us to get to know one another better. I, 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 but there are so many places to start this conversation. Because you've been involved in so many things. When did you arrive in the Coachella Valley? In 1986. And uh, what brought you to the Coachella Valley? I was uh, working uh, in healthcare as an administrator in, in uh, middle central Illinois. And I was uh, recruited here 
uh, by the good folks at Desert Hospital um, who were in an interesting, struggling position at the time. And uh, I showed up here um, working for a district hospital that I didn't know anything about special districts at the time in California. So it was a, it was a, uh, an interesting introduction to politics, to the incredible abyss that oftentimes <laughs> exists in California with uh, structures that they create for special purposes. So that's how I got here. I arrived in the heat uh, uh, at a time when the airport had no concourse and everybody debarked onto the runway directly. Oh, those old stairways that they would roll up. That's right. That's right. And um, walked you know, across the runway to the airport that looked for all the world like a bus station mm-hmm. um, at the time. And the luggage was outside. And you know, the conveyor rolled on by as you stood outside on the runway. There are very few places. Are still, if you go to Long Beach, you still pick up your luggage that's outside. Right. <laughs> that's, that's right. It is a nice throwback. But, yeah, in Palm Springs, it's a different kind of feel. So you arrived, and you know, you've mentioned the special district things, which you become extremely adept at managing and navigating. But that's a brand-new thing when, when you arrive from out of state. So uh, to how did you t- To you, how, how did you tackle that? Because there were some big challenges. Going on. There were, indeed. As a matter of fact, when I arrived, it was the very first board meeting, the district board meeting, after they had uh, leased the operation of the hospital to a private nonprofit at the time, Desert Healthcare Corporation, which is the entity that actually hired me. And the, the district board uh, had previously overseen the operations of the hospital, if you can imagine. And wow. Yeah, um, in a substantial hospital. Um, and were they capable the t- of doing it? Well, sure, of a fashion. <laughs> <laughs> the doors opened every day. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it had its ups and downs, but one of the challenges was that in a, in a changing healthcare reimbursement environment, it became more and more sophisticated, more and more difficult. Uh, contracting, managed care had entered the picture. Um, the Medicare started paying uh, not by cost, but by diagnosis-related groups. And it became a very different operation um, to manage. And so they were wise to try to find um, another entity that could uh, take the operations of the hospital out of the politics, they thought. Uh, so they and thought, and yes. so I came, um, actually, in the, into the first board meeting, my very first week, uh, the Sinatra Auditorium um, at the hospital in the in the Sinatra Education Center, mm-hmm. and I, already I knew that I wasn't in uh, Peoria anymore. <laughs> Everything was named Sinatra. <laughs> Everything had you know a name. Even the streets had celebrity names and well-known names, and you know driving or actually getting down the street from the airport was also because my luggage didn't arrive. Big surprise <laughs> uh, when I did, and um, so for my interview, you know I, I stopped at the Palm Springs Mall, which is down the street from the airport, and went into the drugstore to get you know the basics and um, before they uh, ferried me off to the spa hotel at my you know um, uh, room uh, in the sky at the spa hotel and the next morning I got to go downtown and walk by I Magnons and Robinsons and you know, trying to find something to wear to an interview 
in a resort environment. Good luck. It was Bahamas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a challenge. Um, it was a challenge, but. Anyway, my first week when I walked into that first board meeting, the first district board meeting, they were deciding what to do with the tax money because a special district collects a portion of property tax to fund, you know, its operation. And that was the day that they were voting to um, allocate that tax money for the very first time outside of the realm of actually operating the hospital. And one of my areas of responsibility was um, external communications and and relations and uh, media and all of that. And so it was my job to explain what had happened. So I got uh, education on the ground floor of how to try and explain what was going on at the time. Previously, and and I'd never been to a hospital board meeting in an auditorium that was full Mm. of people. Doctors, nurses, staff people, media, cameras. You know, I'd worked for a private nonprofit hospital, community hospital, community-based hospital, my whole career, and uh, definitely not public board meetings. Different animal entirely. Yeah, yeah. totally different How animal. How did that anyway, one go? Were, were, was the public pretty happy with the board at that point? There were people that were happy and people that weren't so happy because the allegations at the time. There was a hotbed of political intrigue and accusations flying back and forth. And part of the reason they brought me um, to the table was to try to reposition the hospital really back to the community-based model uh, that they had operated under and to rebuild trust, which we were able to do over time working with our friends at the Desert Sun and others. So that's quite an introduction to the it valley. Was. It was. It would have made some people say, I'm probably not going to stay here long, but you <laughs> you put down roots. You know, I, uh, that wasn't my plan, wasn't to stay here forever. But, you know, like so many people who come to the desert, it was um, uh, seductive. It, it is a seductive place. Let, let's, let's step back a little because I'm interested in that. Uh, did you know, had you been to the valley before you moved no, here? No, I had never, you know, I'd been to California, to San Francisco, to San Diego, but never in any place in between. And so it was really my introduction to the desert and certainly to Palm Springs in particular. Did you know other people here? I did not. So everything was brand new to you? It was indeed. Wow. Yeah, and and things were different, you know, then. It was was very much a sophisticated unsophistication. Describe that. Well, the, where I came from in central Illinois, you know, I, I always thought California was ahead of everything ahead of fashion, ahead of entertainment, ahead of pretty much everything. But um, I found out when I got here that that we had been very advanced, you know, in our, at least the things we were doing in healthcare. And so I was able to bring some of those advancements here uh, to the desert. But also that the, you know, the, um, the way people approach their work was very different than the Midwest. You know, in the Midwest, you know, I was born and raised there and and we really are raised to, you know, work, work to, um, live to work. I mean, our jobs were very much part of our lives. It was very much a part of, you know, um, how we um, went about planning for our life and didn't move around a lot. Uh, California, I found very different, a lot, of, lot more mobile, a lot more uh, people, you know, from other places. And the, the idea was more, less work, more live. 
Yes. And that was new. I came from the East Coast, and it's a very similar experience. And you, you come out here, and I would see people, and like, I moved originally to Orange County. And I would see people out having a great time, and I would wonder, what I've never seen them at work. What do these people do for a living? <laughs> That's how I felt, yeah. It was, well, and, you know, plus, uh, 3 o'clock, you know, we're gone. Try and organize things for staff, you know, to... Uh, it, it, in the Midwest, it's very much a part of your social life, a part of your family. Here, not so much. When they were done, they were done, and off they went. So, you know, trying to organize things for for participation, for for people to stay after work to do, not interested. There was a big event that took place, uh, a very sad, tragic event, when the Girl Scout bus... Yes. Slipped off the edge of the tram road. and That's a well-documented event. There are great pictures of Sonny Bono because he was the mayor at the time. But right. you were part of that first response as well. I was. Talk a little bit about that because that was while you were still at the, the, the hospital. Yes, very much so. So mostly what happened from our vantage point was, you know, um, a disaster preparation went into effect immediately. And, and those of us who were in administration had very defined roles to play and places to be. And management of, you know, of, of uh, media was one of my um, responsibilities. And also um, meeting the, the arriving uh, relatives and parents and making sure that they were um, had the information they needed and connected to the right um, party to receive that information. Because um, that day, you know, we lost the bus driver and six of, of the passengers, and none of them from anywhere around here. Mm. And so it was a lot of notifications and a lot. We had media surrounding the hospital for days and days and days, and, and that were covering it, you know, um, around the clock. I don't think I left the hospital for 48 hours um, because some of those parents were arriving um, over the course of that period of time as they made their own arrangements. And out of that, you know, what you, here's what you learn from those sorts of crises, especially in a healthcare setting, is that, you know, this is why we train. This is why we're, you know, we're, we, we don't think. We, we're already, we know exactly yeah. what to do uh, calmly and, um, and professionally. And you never, I mean, it's amazing how much you appreciate your colleagues and your community at a time like that. It was an outpouring of, of support, care, compassion, and it was all, um, and, and Sonny was amazing. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, I, I met Sonny. I introduced him at an event. He was no longer mayor. He was a congressman, and he was traveling out east, and I got to introduce him. <laughs> Only time I got to introduce him. Uh, and I didn't, little did I know I would live in Palm Springs many years later. But by all accounts, he performed extremely admirably during that crisis as a mayor and as, as kind of the guy who was comforting people as they came uh, on and off that road and off that, the hill. That's right. Amazingly, really, to a lot of us, he, he didn't think. He, he just went to the scene. Not many people would do that. I mean, because he just wanted to help. And he was there um, pulling people, you know, out of the wreckage. He was side by side with the first responders. He was, and he stayed, amazingly, throughout. Uh, came to the hospital, came in to, you know, welcome um, arriving, you know, parents. And then came every single day to visit. Wow. 
the patients with Mary. And not just a, a drive-by visit. He would sit, he would talk to them, he would listen, he would... I mean, he was so touched by the whole thing that you could tell that this was genuine. Yeah. He participated in the daily media briefings. He, I mean, it, it was That's amazing. What you want from it was amazing. I, I use that experience. I, I include that as one of the stories in some leadership uh, presentations that I do because I think it's a, it, it exhibits one of those hallmarks of good and great leadership it is that you walk the walk. And, um, and he walked the walk that day and every day thereafter. It was, it brought him enormous amounts of respect. Uh, and appreciation and deserved. Was there anything, uh, you talked about the fact that there were some things you learned yes. medically in response to him. Was there anything that was learned off of that that might have been, I'm not sure what caused the accident, but any changes that came as a result of that accident? There were. Um, it was brake failure mm-hmm. that caused it, and it was the, it was, um, it, the result of lawsuits, uh, many lawsuits that followed. Um, major improvements were made in braking systems. There were no seatbelts in the bus. That was another change. So, yeah, there were safety changes that came about, sadly, as a result of a tragedy. Well, at least we learned something from it, and that's important to come out of that. That's right. We, um, we're going to get back into all of the stuff that you're involved in here <laughs> in the desert or have been since you've been here, but I want to kind of go back from that. You described yourself as coming from a volunteer family. I tell, did. Tell me what that means. Well, in my case, uh, what that meant is I grew up around, um, especially my mom was um, a, just a, a habitual volunteer. And, and she was always doing something uh, in the community. And even if it wasn't an apparent, you know, need or whatever, she would just, she was the one at the table, you know, uh, setting or cleaning up or, or jumping in to, to do whatever. She was very active in community groups. And so I just thought that's the way everybody was. Found out. You know, over time, that's not really that's not really what happens in every family. But it was a great role model for me, um, and I can't seem to shake it. Well, that's obvious by all the stuff we're going to be talking <laughs> about later. What, um, what was your uh, upbringing? What did your dad do? My dad was um, neither of my parents graduated high school, um, both from sort of working families. Um, my mom was from Utah. Uh, my grandfather was a, a, a came from Greece, and um, and was a kind of a journeyman everything. And my dad's family, you know, they were poor, and there were seven kids. And my dad entered the military when he was 15, mm. um, signed in by his folks uh, because that they knew that he he could get, be cared for there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So anyway, that uh, my parents met by uh, were pen pals, and that's how they met and married. And really, so, yeah, that's an cool. incredible story, really. Um, and um, had never met each other. My dad got on a bus, went to Utah. My mom was in high school. Um, got off the bus, married her, got back on the bus, and went back to service, active service. And that was that was that. And so they were, you know, struggling young parents um, most of my life actually but that's so I was raised but I didn't know that right and so I was raised around the rest my dad's family 
you know, um, that's the way. Big family? Um, yeah, they had seven kids in the family, and yeah. so they all married and had kids, and so we grew up, you know, in a, um, I call it a, kind of a gang. <laughs> <laughs> did you have siblings? Yeah, I had two brothers. And what did they end up doing? Uh, my one brother, my, my oldest brother, um, is a, a basically a bodybuilder, gym manager, and he um, he lives in Florida. And my other brother is um, is a you know a, worked in transportation, and is in back stayed in the Midwest. Do they come back out here to visit you? My older yeah. brother does, does occasionally. He? Yeah, he's a motorcycle guy, and so he'll ride his motorcycle. And how did your parents feel about you coming out to California? Uh, my parents, um, I was older and by then, and so it wasn't really, you know, it any, wasn't, it a, wasn't a topic of conversation <laughs> by then. So you came into, uh, you took the job in the medical field. What was next once you got here? Yes. So uh, about, uh, I don't know, if, uh, many years, I can't even remember how many now, um, healthcare changed, you know, in the, um, in the 80s, uh, early 90s. I mean, it became more about managing money than managing patients and care. Patients and care. And I really came from the community hospital setting. And, and so it really was losing its, you know, appeal. And my um, college training was in radio and television, and so um, I thought, well, you know, that would be my step off, you know, to return to that. However, instead, what happened is this slick guy showed up in town named Rick Daniels, and he was uh, trying to uh, site the world's largest uh, rail hall landfill, 90 miles east of Palm Springs, Eagle Mountain. Eagle Mountain. And he convinced me that this isn't really a solid waste project. This is a public health project. That was his pitch. And I could see, you know, kind of how he, you know, saw it that way because L.A. was, was full of um, landfills and trucks uh, that were creating problems. And we were in the desert. We were the receiver of those problems, air and, um, and other you know, uh, untoward uh, problems that Absolutely. are created, and you know, un, you know, landfills that aren't capped and that are over capacity, and pretty soon, you know, you can kind of see why it made sense to put it on rail cars and ship it out to the middle of the desert, to an iron ore mine that had, you know, as we used to say, a quarter mile deep, mile and a half wide, four miles long, hmm. Eagle Mountain, a hole in the ground left from the iron ore mining. Kaiser did during the shipbuilding World War II. All right, so you you moved to there. Yeah, ten to, years I spent doing ten that. Ten years. Yeah, and it uh, it was controversial at the it inception, was. and only grew more controversial. Talk a little bit about the journey of those <laughs> ten years, because I mean, obviously, you jumped on board the project. So at some point, you said, "Okay, yeah, I, I believe in this idea." Uh, he, yeah, Rick was very convincing, um, actually, about you know the uh, the efficacy of putting trash on rail cars instead of trucks. So four trains a day versus thousands and thousands of garbage trucks running around Los Angeles. That could certainly make sense. Made sense to me. Sure. It also made sense to me that the uh, and to many others. 
that the iron ore mine at Kaiser had been abandoned um, uh, during the early 80s. Um, Kaiser in bankruptcy when the iron ore, you know, um, market bottomed, yeah, bottomed out. China and others entered the picture, and um, and Kaiser got bought and sold and bought and sold and bought and sold until the final Michael Milliken um, fellow, <laughs> Junk, Junk um, King. the yeah, Junk Bond King, yeah, exactly. That's right. Um, who was part of all of that. Um, Randy, you were in banking. Did you ever work for Michael Milken? I worked for a bank where the CEO was best friend with Michael Milken. There you go. uh, One day we were no longer working there. (laughs) That's how it happened. And that's what happened to the Kaiser retirees. Uh, uh, Their their benefits, their health um, benefits were stripped out and sold. um, And they lost everything for all those years that they put in. Good Lord. And what was left of the retirement plan was the land. And so that was the underpinning of the Eagle Mountain landfill and kind of the um, uh, the untold, uh, unseen story was these 5,000 retirees uh, with no medical and no health um, uh, uh, life benefits. Uh, as a result of that, and what would the Eagle Mountain would return all of that to all of them? Had the project come had to fruition? The, had the project come to fruition? And by the time we sold the project eventually uh, in 2000 um, uh, to LA County Sanitation Districts, uh, they were on their way um, to recovery. But you know, um, it, it took us 10 years to get those permits, 21 permits, and two lawsuits. One went to the state Supreme Court and we won. The other went to the um, D.C., to Washington, um, and uh, and was not heard. And eventually the project was overturned on a technical uh, land exchange appraisal issue. Wow. Yeah, I know, after all that. After all that. Yeah, that's what happened. And, uh, and then um, uh, the retirees by then had, uh, had dwindled from 5,000 to um, less than a thousand. Oh my goodness! And that—that's you know. So that just kills me even today heart, yeah. to think about it. Um, such great, hardworking, fantastic uh, people uh, who had worked so hard, and it, they didn't deserve that um, at the end of the day. Anyway, um, the next project in line because the the that underpin underlying goal was still needing to be fulfilled. And so the next people up um, to try to find a reuse for that land were uh, people trying to do the hydroelectric project. And did you play any part in that? I did. I worked for them for a little while um, also um, to get the transition, you know, through. And um, and then uh, and then they, um, I, they were trying to get a um, power purchase agreement to be able to turn that project on. Um, the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, had approved it, and once again, it was stalled. And so, you know, these big idea projects, because we can talk about Salt and Sea, another big idea project another big idea. that I worked on. Um, so, you know, you don't sign up for these things thinking that they're going to take 20 years. Well, that's... You just turn around one day. It's, it's one of the great issues. And I, I, I moved to California 25 years ago. And when I was growing up as a kid, California was the place of big ideas. Yes. And I think in many ways it still remains it, but we have regulated ourselves to the point where big ideas 
get a lot smaller really fast. Well, they just take forever. Yeah. It just you know we there there is something to be said for common sense regulation. There is. We, we, it's. I, I was speaking to a group about, and we were talking about uh, the storage of water. We haven't another good topic. And we haven't built a, a true water storage facility what since the '60s in California. Other than Dominagoni, right, right. Uh, it, it, so it's, I mean, it's really hard to get these big projects to go anywhere because if not for the regulations, then there's always a group or two that will sue you along the way as well. Delay is denial. Yeah. I mean, that's, that. in many cases, that's and so you the, fought that's through the strategy. That, you fought through that with, with the rail car idea and then with the, the, the power production idea. That's exactly right. On the same, basically the same project. <laughs> On in the same land. Yeah. I mean, and the same basic idea of trying to find another use for an abandoned, you know, resource. And there's still resources out there. That's the other thing about Eagle Mountain. It is so large. There are four pits, and we were only proposing to use one. one. There are three others, and uh, um, they're they're deep. And uh, they aren't exhausted, in fact. Mm. And the interesting thing about Eagle Mountain is that the way iron ore was mined out there, uh, no, no chemicals. It was all just story. It was water, uh, rinsing, and, and, and then conveyance um, to these pits. And then the, the rocks that, that were um, encasing the iron ore, once it was removed, you know, um, you got little rocks, bigger rocks, and even bigger rocks <laughs> left. And those, interestingly enough, became a resource that could be used again and are being used uh, to pave I-10 and other, wow. Other, wow. other places. Yeah, there's so much of it, though. The only thing that stops it from being used is the cost of transportation mm. because sometimes the material is less expensive than the transportation. So you <laughs> wait for the market to catch up oh my goodness. and the economic equation to switch. It, it sounds to me like, I mean, like it must have been a great challenge, yeah. a fascinating challenge, but like the learning curve there, I mean, you, you had to kind of retrain yourself. In some ways, but you know, once you learn how um, to communicate, you know, one thing, you put those principles to work, you do it every day. You put those, and so do you, you and so do you. Um, we all, we all. Oh, Randy, not so much. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidting. <laughs> I've been married 42 there are exceptions. years. That's I learned how to communicate. <laughs> <laughs> One way. <laughs> exactly. Or listening, another. Listening is a great form of communication. <laughs> but that's, you know, these are, so I've, I tell people all the time that I had the best training for any job there is. I, I'm a big believer. Radio and television training is the best mm. you learn you can put that to work in any job there is you have someone that you admire i think you admire greatly and that's corky larson uh enormously talk a little bit about how your relationship with her grew and and some of the projects that, that both of you championed over the years because i think those are really good stories here yeah in the well uh, corky larson when i first came to the uh, desert was uh, the county supervisor um previous to that she'd been on the school board and previous to that she was a farmer um her and keen her husband and her, all her kids you know were sharecropper farmers um and in the east valley and yeah. they ended up with um grapes uh, mostly um, in the Eastern Valley, and she was a mom, 
farmer and a mom. And then she, I mean, she's, she was just the most amazing person. She became a pilot. She became, she went to law school at age 60 and got her law degree. And uh, along the way, uh, she uh, was elected to the school board and uh, later the county board of supervisor where she served um, uh, uh, four terms. She always used to say that you should only serve three because by then you're tired and worn out and, <laughs> and it's time for new ideas. So, and I happen to agree with that. I learned that the hard way myself. But, <laughs> I mean, I swear to goodness. And the, <laughs> um, but Corky, um, as a county super, I met her. I was working at the hospital and I met her because we, um, we were trying to, um, we had an East Tower uh, full of patient rooms that were not fully utilized and I was trying to talk to her about could we make a deal with the county to to instead of shipping county public patients out of the hospital to the to the county hospital in Riverside why couldn't we keep them here why couldn't we make a deal and and um, instead of shipping them there why don't we care for them here and save that wear and tear in the family. And that appealed to Corky. And so that's how I met Larry Parrish, the county CEO at the time. And we, um, we, we had a really good try at trying to figure out how to make that work. Um, eventually, it didn't. But um, I got two really good friends out of that uh, initial conversation. And then the, one of those uh, conversations with Corky turned into a uh, conversation about the um, a blueprint for health that we had done at the hospital to identify what the priority needs were. And Corky took that and turned it in... Um, at the time, the county was uh, talking to Palm Desert about um, the land that Costco was going to be developed on. And they were doing a deal uh, between the county and the city for a share of that tax revenue that would be uh, created. So Corky made a deal, first time ever, that this had been done with the city, that the city would give that tax revenue from Costco for the first 30 years to Corky, to the county. And... Um, to use and apply to um, address uh, health, mental health, and juvenile issues in the Coachella Valley. And that's how the Regional Access Project um, was created and still exists. And that hasn't become any less important. In no, it, more so, if yeah. anything. One, and, of the um, thing, yeah. one of the things that I always enjoy doing, and I've done it off and on for many years, is the uh, Senior Inspiration Awards. And the Regional Access Project. Yes, they do. And, and that was a Corky Larson. That's a Corsi, in, yes. Idea in the first place. Yes. And, and then she refused to take one herself for many, many, many years <laughs> after right. she retired. That's right. I would have liked to have known So her. quirky, right? Yeah. Uh, just, the, just the best ever. You, you were um, a founder of Friends of the Desert Mountains. Yeah. Was there anything in those experiences with Iron Mountain and all of that that kind of formed some of your hey we got to take care of this land uh, where that came from is my mom being from utah um she was a big hiker outdoor person and i got that gene uh from her and so we were always you know uh out um uh, cross-country skiing along the rock river um or you know hiking in, in any trip that we took we were always out on the trail and so i brought that with me actually and um here i was able to apply it to i met some great people buford kreitz uh bill yeah, haver katie burrows 
Um, and at the time, Paul Seltzer, who was um, a, an attorney for BB&K, and um, they were um, quirky, and they went to quirky with an idea um, uh, because development was stalled all the time about because of the critters, um, as um, quirky used to say, uh, the critters, <laughs> and and um, they came up with this notion, uh, the French Toad Lizard Preserve, mm-hmm. to, to create to, a land, an area, habitat, sufficient for um, keeping that population alive and allowing, while allowing development to occur um, in the desert without having that d- destruction of habitat not provided for. So it was, it was yeah, really. Brilliant. And so that um, got created um, with that core group of people. And then uh, the conversation started about the rest of the land. How are we going to make sure that why we all came to stay here um, stays that way? And so the Multi-Species Habitat Conservation Plan um, was an outgrowth of that. And um, all those same people um, uh, include, I mean, um, uh, Joan Taylor with Sierra Club and uh, certainly Buford, who was on the council at uh, Palm Desert, but an incredible um, environmental conservation champion um, really led the way for those things, and they drug people like me along, <laughs> and um, I was able to help, you know, with some of the outreach and communication to build support, so people understood the value of if we conserve it today, you know, it'll be there for the next generation. And and remind us of all why we moved out here in the first right. place. Exactly right. Don't take it for granted. It's amazing that people who come, you know, yesterday assume it's always been this way just because. Well, there are, there are a lot of Johnny come lately around. There are a few. <laughs> there are a few. There's a lot there of Saxonies in this place. But, uh, yeah. I mean, the Friends of Desert Mountains has conserved 60,000 acres. Since That's then. an enormous I mean, number. And con- conservation through just the outright purchase of the property. Uh, from willing sellers, so the that whole uh, notion of 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 not you know stopping a development, but rather um, creating an opportunity for um, for those who want to sell the land um, for conservation, uh, giving them the opportunity to do that, um, was what created the friends and and continues to this day. I've done a few events for uh, Friends of the Desert Mountains. No, I always enjoyed. Uh, great. It's just such a wonderful group to be around. It is because you know you feel good yeah. about about uh, that sort of a mission. Now uh, we've taken on much more of a of a education and outreach mission, trying to introduce. You'd be surprised how many young people have never been uh, to the mountains, have never been you know to um, any of the preserves. Don't know aren't being introduced, and one so of, we're trying to take that on. One of the things that we did during uh, the COVID isolation when schools were closed, and we, we had two school-aged children at the time, uh, and, and we just took them. Like, they weren't in school. Uh-huh. So we just, we just took them. We took them down to the Salton Sea. We took them to the, you know, Perfect. To the preserves that are here and kind of showed them what, you know, what the land is all about. And it was a, it was a really great time for our family because mm-hmm. we had the opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. It's so important for kids to see that, mm-hmm. uh, not just kids. I my wife and I spent practically the whole pandemic driving around looking at things we hadn't seen in the entire really? time that we lived here. Yeah. Right, right. Getting out to the Salton Sea, and yeah, Borrego, and all of those. It, yeah, it, it was yeah. really it, it was really fun for us with the, with the the kids at the time because they would be. Oh, this is so long. Why are we driving so long? <laughs> and then we get some. We get down to Salvation Mountain, and our oldest was like, 
oh, wait a minute. I see this all over Instagram. Now we need yeah. pictures. It like, would have been the same experience taking me. So. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but so. it, was, it was great because all of a sudden, like, oh, you, you actually are the kind of the cool dad. <laughs> like, you took us someplace cool. Like, so. Well, I never got that. <laughs> um, but you're a cool co-host. Um, you and I uh, are, were adjacent to each other in an organization uh, that I ultimately became a part of. But you were a founder. Coachella Valley Economic Partnership. Oh, yeah. That's true. Talked to my old friend uh, Dick Oliphant today. He said to say hi. No. Of course, took 10 minutes of him Dick was on me. the board of Eagle Mountain. How about that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, he took 10 minutes to tell me how amazing you were uh, <laughs> before I got my second question in. Yeah. But I, I, I want to talk a little bit. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about CBEP because okay. um, it is uh, accordioned in this valley in terms of importance. Sometimes it's been very important. Sometimes it hasn't been so much. What was the original concept of CBEP? Um, um, the original concept was um, unifying uh, business, uh, industry, and the public sector uh, with a shared vision for economic growth and development. For the whole valley? For the whole valley. Uh, one valley. So bringing together the public sector um, in concert with the private sector to uh, create an environment uh, where development and economic interest w- could flourish. Um, and and that, it's as simple as that, really. And, and at times, the desert really has been known for that, bringing the sectors together. CVAG mm-hmm. is an example of that for, for unite around a common cause. And in CVAG's case, it was transportation. And uh, look how great, I mean, that worked beautifully. Um, and there are, um, Sunline is another example where we united as an as a entity at one valley around public transportation. Um, the CBB is another, the Convention of Visitors Bureau was another uniter, bringing together um, the, all of the cities together to um, market this valley, this hospitality um, destination, um, together instead of uh, duplicating efforts and, and stepping all over each other and mixing messages and, and inefficiently trying to you know, promote um, the valley when you can do it so much better uh, together. So that was the idea behind CBEP. Right. How did it achieve its goals? And did it achieve its goals? Well, along the way, occasionally, you know, we would stumble <laughs> into, um, uh, 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 now actually, I think it worked uh, beautifully, uh, sometimes better than others. Um, you're right, there have been valleys along with the peaks, but there have been some notable successes um, Do you consider as well. one future? Um, Absolutely, that's uh, one of the absolute successes. Yeah. In those days, that came out of a conversation around the table of um, one of the CVEP committees talking about education um, as economic development, and that if we don't create the pipeline, you know, the workforce isn't going to be there for us to try to attract business um, to come to the valley. And so, um, with intention, aiming toward some particular industries, which at the time were the priorities everybody agreed upon, healthcare, uh, technology, and um, digital film and media were the three, the creative sector, that we identified, everybody could agree, those were something that we could use as attraction tools. And so, you know, we wrote this uh, grant to the Irvine Foundation um, with a structure, here's how, we, here's how we're going to do it. 
We're going to bring industry in, have a conversation together with education, and we're going to create this pathway. And so, by golly, that's what happened. Out a, lot of that, of, a lot of people came out. A lot of kids came out of that. An amazing. Yeah. Uh, we we went from at the time I think there were five or six academies in the local high schools. There are now fifty some. Wow. You know, so those pathways, those academies, you know, are the stepping stone to the next step, either a job or um, higher education. Well, so, it is a part. I mean, CVEP is now really a part of of the Valley framework. I mean, I, I don't think. When 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 I came to the valley twenty plus years ago, right, it it wasn't necessarily, but now it is. I mean, it's it, it's an important player in in shaping the valley. The future. regional economic development is an important. I think that still remains. Whether it's the CVEP as the as the you know sole um, provider, a responsible party to bring all that together, I think is the is the hill and valley conversation. Every ten years. It's, it's a valley. And mostly that's caused by um, the lack of a sustainable funding stream mm. to support it. So It, it doesn't you know, take much to tip this area exactly over. Exactly right. Yeah. Exactly right. And so sometimes, you know, um, we have uh, all the valley cities, the tribes, the, the county, all in. Everybody pulling in one direction. And then that's, well, the IHUBs came out of that. Yes. Right? So um, that was a, a, you know, a really great example of, you know, innovation and entrepreneurism. That was perfect. Everybody could unite around it. We decided that there was a, a, you know, the locus for it was in the West Valley at the time. Those cities were willing to put, you know, funding in to create. And then we would replicate. And that's what happened. So it started in Palm Springs. Now we have Palm Desert. And now we have, and also Indio. So that is a... That's a strategy that um, has been successful. Education has been an ongoing uh, with One Future now and also with the Cal State um, expansion and hopefully um, College of the Desert, too. So we got just a few minutes left, but I want to follow that up with you. Um, One of the things CBEP does every year is their economic summit. Yes. And this year they did another one. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that came out of that is Joe Wallace threw something out that is kind of interesting. And that is a 50-year plan towards a consolidation of the desert. Oh, the, here we and go. The nine, and the nine cities. Here we go. That one's in every 20 years. Yeah. What's your feeling? What's your feeling? Well, I think, it, I mean, it, of course it makes sense to, you know, n- not have all the duplication. Well, we're but, paying $2.8 million to city managers in this valley. Well, and that's not going to change any day well, soon. Well, nope. we only had one city. Yeah, but that's not going to happen. But that's because, not going to happen. Because we have all those cities. <laughs> yes, I get so it. So it's, it is, there, it's too, the, the horse has left, you know, the barn on, on that. Um, in my day, uh, maybe 20 years ago or so, we almost had a successful attempt to combine um, fire departments between Palm Springs and Cathedral City. Almost, we had that, we had it, we had it until the actual vote had to be taken at the council meeting, and we we had a majority and lost it in the span of 20 minutes. Oh I mean, because gosh. when they finally get right down to it. You know, there, it, there's just, you know, a protection of the status quo that, that you know, seeps in 
And, and that's the answer every time I bring the topic up. Well, <laughs> people are people. Yeah. You know, politics is politics. There are there are fight, and it's. I'm going to give you. I'm going to pull the curtain back. Randy and I've had this conversation, and, and I think one of Randy's great passions is the unification of the valley into one big city where we can get rid the of all those. The elimination of redundant spending is one of my big goals. And that's great. <laughs> Until so you ask each city manager which one is willing to give up his four hundred thousand dollars salary, yeah, I knew that and was the almost answer. none of them are not voluntarily. Yes, but you know this is true. I came here from a from another valley that was divided into some municipalities, and the concept of consolidation in the Roanoke Valley of Virginia, because there's several city governments and county governments, and everybody wants to do the same thing, but nobody is going to give up their immediate control it, it it is a noble goal but it, it, it i don't think it's a ever a workable goal well here's like the, here's imagine the like which city goes first like if we start to expand anyone but the one i'm living in yeah okay that's the way there, it goes but think there, about there it, there it is. i'm gonna ask you to think about it in a little bit of a different way okay because the reality is we have done a lot to head in that direction. The JPAs that we talked about earlier, CVAG, Sunline, the CVB, and others, those are a step in that direction. So the elimin- otherwise they'd all be doing that. CVEP is a step in that direction. And because when CVEP was created, there were economic development directors in every city. Right. Now that may return someday uh, one of those valleys the and clock may go back, may back but then it will I guarantee you it will then turn around again yes because it doesn't what you say makes perfect sense so you may never get rid of the municipality but you can encourage and uh, celebrate the cooperation and the collaboration when it occurs Beautiful that's, I, I think that's saying. a brilliant way of putting it because what what needs to happen is uh, no one wants to... If you live in Rancho Mirage, you're never going to give up Rancho Mirage. It's just not going to happen. But the the idea of cooperating on services that are duplicated, I think, is something that can happen. And again, you tried it at the fire department level. Uh, you know, but it, it worked at one point in the Cove community project. With it? three yeah. of the entities. And it works... With and worked with the iHubs also with three of the entities, so you see it episodically. It, it, it does happen, and, and well, I mean, many valley cities utilize the sheriff's department for their law enforcement. That's right. Instead of having a standalone police department. That's right. Uh, that's another model that it, it hasn't been duplicated everywhere, but it's been du- duplicated. And, and obviously, you know, public safety, that's a huge expenditure sector, but it's a vitally important. But a lot of cities want to have their chief of police so you have somebody who is directly accountable. So I think that that's where you run into that. It's, it's hard to get past that a little bit. It is, but, but as I say, I think we should celebrate the successes where we have been able to find the area of cooperation and collaboration because it's significant. And, and so to concentrate on the areas that we haven't sort of, of erases you know, the, the incredible work that's, that's been done really on, on yeah. significant things. Well, it is great when you get collaboration and cooperation throughout the valley. And one of, one of the smallest and greatest 
is the collaboration of red lights on Highway 111. It Signal is, synchronous. That is a huge one. It's huge. Yep. It impacts agreed. everybody's everyday life. And you know what else they're doing while they're doing that? Installing broadband. That signal synchronization project, while they're digging that street up, got them to put in fiber. So when the day comes, that is going to be our corridor for fiber. That's fantastic. And that's why I have fiber fiber optic in my house now. It's an incredible thing that's happening. Love it. Is this going to help us pushing the broadband out to the East Valley? Yes, everywhere. I mean, it's going to be that central line that we need. Um, that that will connect the valley, like the CB Link, like the CB Sync, and now you know. Um, well, let's let's just look for that next opportunity. What's the next opportunity for you? Uh, good question. Good question. He's wondering if you're interested in being a co-host. Yeah. On, on a podcast. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> now that she's seen us do it, that's right. Yeah. No way in no, I'll that's be true. here every week. You Not know with what? these two guys. Way too big a hill to climb. <laughs> this was your first love, radio, television. I mean, it this was. Is, this is the the kind of the microcosm of, of radio and television. <laughs> Takes me back, right? But uh, I mean, you've been involved with so much, that, and uh, I mean, obviously, you kind of see things at this. It's this both globally but also granularly mm-hmm. which I really like the way you mm-hmm. you view the valley what, what, what's a, what's something you want to tackle next I'm interested in tackling more time you know in the uh, on the trail uh, more time you know traveling more time doing you know um, turning the chapter that I talked about when I first got here you know uh, the work live thing uh, uh, turning it away from work more to live to live yeah I have well, a feeling we'll probably run into Carmel at yes, some point indeed. together because we both spend I a lot sure of time. I sure hope so. There. I yeah. sure hope so. What a what an interview! Uh, <laughs> we we could go on <laughs> and on we need and about on. Two more hours. Right, like we've scratched the surface here. <laughs> Kay, thank you so much. Uh, it was delightful. Thank you so much. Uh, the, the perspective you bring is so important and so valuable. And Incredible. It is absolutely incredible. <laughs> One of the few guests. No. And if you can get Randy <laughs> off his consolidation kick and tell him to celebrate, <laughs> that'll be a good That's thing. That's his challenge. I'll remember to That is challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Big Conversations Little Bar. We are so appreciative of Kay Hazen taking a little time out to stop by Little Bar and have this big conversation because it has been all of that and more. Thank you. Thank you. Randy, thank you. John McMullen, thank you. And we will be back with another big conversation very soon. Thank you for joining us for Big Conversations, Little Bar, with Patrick Evans and Randy Florence. Hear our entire library of episodes from BigConversationsLittleBar.com or most major podcast portals. This podcast is a production of the Mutual Broadcasting System. Mm-hmm.